We're just listening to the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. The obvious can be the hardest to see. My eyes account for less than 1% of the weight of my head. I see what I expect. I once spent a full three minutes looking straight at a bullfrog that was so unexpectedly large I couldn't see it, even though a dozen enthusiastic campers were shouting directions. That's Annie Dillard from Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the House of Mercy podcast. This week, actually, we're going to meet in person outdoors at, uh, at the House of Mercy. But in case you can't make it, we have uh, a sermon for you on this podcast. Debbie's preaching. Uh, so otherwise, we will be resuming in-person services indoors on July 11th, 5 p.m. If you can make it out, that'd be great, 5 p.m. on the on the lawn, the humble lawn at uh, at House of Mercy. Uh, it, it does look like it could very possibly rain, um, so we will be making the call at 2 o'clock if we can have that outdoor service and be contacting you through the uh, House of Mercy newsletter list. And uh, if it is raining, we will have the service inside. So you can still come along in case you're not quite ready to go inside. We'll let you know that. Um, Can hardly wait to see you all again. This is the House of Mercy and welcome to it. House of Mercy hymn number 16, Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Nothing can for sin atone 
This evening's reading is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go over to the opposite shore. Then once they had sent away the crowd, they took him with them, as he was already in the boat, and other boats were with him. And a great squall arose, and the waves fell on the boat, so that in no time the boat was swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. And they woke him and asked him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going under? So he got up, scolded the wind, and said to the sea, Be quiet, put a muzzle on it. And the wind broke off, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any trust yet? And their fear was an overwhelming one. And they said to one another, Who is this man then? Even the wind and the sea obey him. The end of the reading. Thanks be to God. A storm. Super common metaphor. Probably overused. My grandma had a plaque on the wall above her piano. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. A bit corny for me. Dorothy Parker said, they sicken of the calm who know the storm, which... Sounds like her, but not me, actually. I am very fond of a calm and sunny day. Literally, metaphorically. And there's part of me that just wants to say today, thank you, Jesus, or Moderna, or Pfizer, or Science, or whatever. The sea has quieted, finally. Here we are, together again. What a relief. But since this story is about weather, well, you may remember this church year was going to be the year of creation apocalypse, a climate crisis lectionary. We intended to spend the year looking at texts from Genesis to Revelation that dealt with creation, destruction, to be very intentional about focusing on the climate crisis, the seemingly insurmountable storm we face. Literally, metaphorically, fire, hurricanes, floods, drought, encompassing every aspect of life on Earth, a storm that seriously threatens every living thing. It was so weird to look at our service planning spreadsheet this week, so full of names and songs, who's preaching, playing in the band, teaching the youngsters, hymns, scriptures. Then comes 3-15-2020. After that, the document is totally blank, empty. Except for the scriptures Russell and I decided on for the climate crisis lectionary that we never preached on. Somehow that empty document got to me. Our climate crisis lectionary was interrupted by a pandemic forcing us into lockdown, killing almost 4 million people in the world so far. Finally, we're making some progress with vaccinations. But thank you, Jesus, for the calm. It it feels a little more like from the frying pan into the fire, though that metaphor probably doesn't work because we've never been out of the fire. I guess I don't know what it means to be in the frying pan in this situation. But I can move from gratitude to consternation, maybe a mild way of putting it, pretty quickly. 
We're in the midst of an enormous crisis, the climate crisis, when our focus on that was interrupted by another enormous crisis, probably all linked. But I mean, it's not like we've gone through a little rough patch and now we're coming out of it. Heat waves, drought, wildfires are already blazing in the West and it's only the very first day of summer. Happy solstice. The reservoirs in California are at historic lows. I've never seen the river that runs past our property so low. I feel alarmed every time I look at it. Saying our boat is swamped and we're about to go under doesn't quite fit, but wait until the hurricanes. Reading this story in Mark, I feel like, Jesus, come on. Jesus is in the stern sleeping on a cushion while everyone else is experiencing a terrible and frightening storm. He's sleeping on a cushion. A cushion. Is that like a red velvet cushion or a plump feather bed? I mean, WTF, does he not care that we're perishing? We're perishing right and left. And of course, black and brown and indigenous people and people living in poverty are perishing the most and will continue to be most impacted by the climate crisis. The first time I preached on this passage, I, I know the sermon because it's in the book that Dan Hoisington published and I just reread it. Miles was two, now he's 26. I wrote about how terrible it can feel to be in the midst of insomniac anxiety and have the one you love and count on be sleeping. Like, how can Jim sleep? Like, just sleep. Seemingly so unaware of all the threats that surround us. For example, I say, the dangerous virus being passed from chickens to humans in China. 24 years ago, I think it must have been the bird flu. Another of the anxieties plaguing me, keeping me awake, naturally, was the endangered planet. It doesn't make me feel good to look back at that. It kind of freaks me out. Because you can't say for one second that I had no need to be anxious. It's like I wasn't crazy worrying about some outrageous thing. I was right. Maybe that virus didn't turn out to be that bad. And 24 years ago, some of the disasters wrought by climate change weren't as imminent, but it's all gotten about 100,000 times worse than I ever feared. I feel like I had every reason to fear. But if I woke Jim up at 4 a.m. in 1997, which I probably did, don't you care for perishing? He might have said, it's going to be okay. That virus will never get from China to Malacca and infect Miles. And I'd probably have been comforted. I actually did wake Jim up at 4 a.m. Wednesday night. I'm freaking out, I said. He said, freaking out won't help. And I'm like, duh, but that is not at all a helpful thing to say. Don't tell someone who's freaking out not to freak out. I really wanted him to offer encouraging words like back in the old days. But there were no words he could say. I mean, maybe he could have tried a little harder. But the fact is my mom is going to die and suffer from dementia until she does. 
it's increasingly not at all unlikely that my brother's house in California will burn down. My children are doing well. Jim could have mentioned that. But will this democracy crumble? Jim didn't try to comfort me with words. He did rub my back, which helped, but not tons, actually. I'm glad he didn't call me a coward and chastise me for my lack of faith. I can tell you that wouldn't have been helpful. The boat is swamped. It's a huge and terrifying storm. And Jesus says, why are you such cowards? Don't you have any trust yet? I'm sorry, Jesus. I guess no. I mean, I'd like to have trust, but to be honest, your record for intervening in disasters in my lifetime, in my experience, not great. Why am I afraid? Well, everything I fear to happen. I mean, actually, that's not true. I fear many things that don't happen, but there is a storm raging. The climate crisis is upon us. And I know one thing for certain. Some of us are not getting out alive. Actually, all of us aren't getting out alive. But the bodies are piling up faster than it seems they should be. And often the death comes in horrible ways, not peacefully in their sleep, but their families surrounding them, fire and flood and pestilence, shot by police for no reason, mass graves... So many dying alone. I do believe God is present and active in the world. But sometimes I have a hard time seeing it. And I do lack faith. But it seems almost like just plain fact that since I wrote that sermon 24 years ago, the outlook has not improved. And I have yet to see Jesus stop the storm. Have we made progress on ending white supremacy? Police violence against SPIPOC, sexual assault, misogyny? Has our democracy flourished? Kindness and mercy multiplied? Are our divisions and capacity for scapegoating less violent? I mean, I'm sure it depends on where you're looking and how you're looking, and I'm sure it's essential to recognize the weather can change 15 times in a single day. And I know my vision is often extremely limited as a particular sort of person and also just as a human with, on the whole, a pretty limited perceptual capacity. I sort of fluctuate between feeling like the most important thing we can possibly do as humans right now is whatever we can to keep this boat, this planet, from sinking. And there's an enormous array of ways to be part of that. Contributing to the life. Plant things, mate things instead of buying them. Ride your bike, shut down a pipeline, write legislation. Or, and I guess it can be, has to be both, the most important thing we can do is trust the seeds. Believe in what you can't control and didn't plan, what is bigger or smaller, but everywhere moving and transforming with or without you, without your even knowing how. I don't think I talk much about being courageous. 
Maybe because it seems like the province of self-help literature or something dads tell their sons, hoping they'll toughen up, quit being so vulnerable. But reading this story, it's a word that came to my mind. And I believe it's something we need to help us trust and act. Courage. I'm not sure I usually think of how courageous Jesus is, because we so often think what we need is Zeus or Hercules, when what we need is a God who makes themselves vulnerable. But I think Jesus has a courage that also looks like relaxation, that allows him to sleep and calm a storm. This day in Mark's story starts out with Jesus teaching from a boat, teaching other Jewish people in a Jewish place. He talks about the seed and the word and plants and things growing without humans even knowing how. The mustard seed, this very little tiny seed that grows into the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The whole day passes with him teaching. And then evening comes, he's still sitting in the boat, and he's like, let's go to the other side, to the side of the lake where non-Jewish people live, where there are Roman enclaves, and in fact, we'll find where there is a graveyard with a demon-possessed man roaming and screaming. But Jesus is so up for that crossing, even though it's already late in the day. Like he really is relaxed. I guess because he knows intimately the depth and breadth of the love of God the creator of expansive and diverse and far-reaching and never-ending love. I don't think Jesus is like a tough guy at all, really. I mean, he's not super stoic on the cross in Mark or in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he does seem to trust the creator in a way that enables him to be at peace, even in some very rough places. Trusts the word that brought the world into being. So yeah, Jim really can't speak a word that I need into being. Which is disappointing in the middle of the night. But this whole saga we have in the Bible is about a God who can. A God who creates out of nothing with God's word, making Trees grow from dead stumps, brings life from barren wombs, resurrects. I mean, it, it might seem like a bit much, but that's the story. And I love it. Last week in her sermon, Phyllis talked about the amazingness of seeds and how it's easy for her to imagine God's kingdom is like a seed. I love that. It could be like, oh yeah, like a seed because you can barely see it. But you can just depends a little on if you have eyes to see or ears to hear. And I doubt that's like an either-or situation, like some have them and some don't. More like it comes and goes. We get glimpses and moments. I love the passages in Pilgrim at Tinker's Creek where Annie Dillard talks about seeing. She says, The obvious can be the hardest to see. My eyes account for less than 1% of the weight of my head. My head 
a nightmare network of ganglia charged and firing without my knowledge cuts and splices what I do see, editing it for my brain. I see what I expect, she says. I once spent a full three minutes looking straight at a bullfrog that was so unexpectedly large I couldn't see it, even though a dozen enthusiastic campers were shouting directions. May we see the huge bullfrog hiding in plain sight. May we see the seeds sprouting. May we have courage even if we can't quite see and have even a little faith somehow, even in fear or paralysis, that God does wonders, makes peace in the deep, wide, infinite stretch of everlasting love. On the night he was given over to death, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this and remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. House of Mercy hymn number 18, There is a Fountain. as you move through the world this week, knowing you are already always infused with the wild and dangerous love of God. Go in peace. Amen.